At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 510th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who promotes the local food scene and helps build local food community in an accessible, affordable, and original way. We're talking with David Tida about food festivals. David is always busy, which is why he requires so many calories to pull off all of the projects he has going on. Ten years ago, he co-created the Arizona Taco Festival, which was the first taco festival in the world. Now, there are over 200 of them. How epic is that? Over the years, he's created many food festivals, including the annual Phoenix Pizza Festival and the annual Downtown Donut Festival. If you're in Phoenix this spring, catch the second Fried a French fry and music festival. David prides himself on two things, making sure every event is an original, he despises copycats, and making sure the events are inclusive, he's not a fan of high-ticket priced events. Having moved on from the taco festival, he is opening an agave bar in downtown Phoenix to help keep him connected to the taco lifestyle he so identifies with. Welcome to the show today, David. Are you ready to rock tacos? <laughs> I'm ready. Let's do it. Nice. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blank for us? Yeah. So so I, uh, you know, we met, you know, like a lifetime ago. Right. I was a magazine editor. Yep. I it was a that. modern, yeah, modern design and lifestyle magazine called Desert Living here in Phoenix. And yeah, I remember you were just getting the farm started. It was so cool. You know, I mean, there's nobody doing anything like what you were doing, you know? And then, so it was about 2009, 2010, and the, uh, you know, the economy did its thing. The magazine goes out of business, and I was thinking to myself, I have to make a move here. What am I going to do? Right. So I started hanging out. I started hanging out with these guys who, who compete in barbecue competitions. Barbecue? So they travel around the, yeah, they travel around the country competing to win like thousands of dollars in these Kansas City Barbecue Society sanctioned food contests. And these guys were saying, Dave, you should throw a barbecue competition in the middle of Scottsdale. And I did it. 10,000 people showed up to this event. Whoa. I, mean, I, I built I built this thing for like 1,500 people, you know? And so it was, I mean, it was a hot mess of an event because as you know, you build something for a certain crowd. And then when you get more, it's, it's both a blessing and a curse. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. The, the event ran, ran out of food immediately. And it was a hot day and we just ran out of beer, just everything. But I said to myself the next day, I want to do the same event, but do it with tacos in the sense that all of the food was $2. It was a $10 ticket to get in. There was a competition for actual cash. 
rights. And then there was this whole festival like of programming besides the food. So for tacos, we did things like Lucha Libre wrestling, you know, like the masked Mexican wrestlers. Yep. We did a hot chili pepper eating contest, stuff, you know, stuff like that that was like entertaining. And so same thing happened again six months later. We did a taco festival. It turned out to be the first one in the world, as you mentioned in the intro. Again, I built it for 2,000 people and 10,000 showed up. (laughs) And then I, I just started to notice a trend and I thought, Wow, maybe there's there's something to this because at the time most if not all culinary events were like a $65 ticket all you can eat sort of thing. Exactly. And I didn't I didn't like that model because you know two people 125 bucks it's like it's it's nice but not everybody can do that, right? So I wanted to create a thing that was inclusive, not exclusive. You know, and and just sort of put it in the attendee's hands. So somebody could still go and, and have a hundred dollar day. You know, you could have five drinks and, and eat, you know, a dozen tacos and spring for VIP tickets. And hopefully you're taking an Uber or Lyft and you're not driving after that, but somebody could have an expensive day if they wanted to, but they could also get out for 20 bucks if they yes. wanted to, they could also, you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. That's one of the things I appreciate about your festivals. I've been to the taco festival and, you know, and I also looked at in the past going at some of the more expensive, you know, the Scottsdale culinary festival, but you know, the pricing getting in the door, it's like, yeah, I don't think so. Right. Exactly. That's exactly it. So over the last 10 years, I've been throwing food festivals and, you know, I've had some one-offs or like I've done a craft beer festival for a couple of years I did taco festival in Tucson, a barbecue festival out in Surprise, you know, and things like that. But five years ago, I started doing this pizza festival. And so it's what I'm doing now is trying to to find these other food groups or, you know, peg these food groups that are, it's a sustainable model. You know, like barbecue was sustainable for a few years, but it was drawing a crowd that it's it's kind of funny. It's like just looking around at the barbecue crowd compared to the taco crowd. Uh-huh. I thought I want to hang I want to hang out with the taco people. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like yep. like they're just mar- they're drinking margaritas. They're just kind of letting their hair down, and the barbecue crowd was getting a little rough. I was like, I I don't know if I want to do that one anymore. You know. So your pizza festival gets a gets a crowd that is probably voting to legalize marijuana. It's a very PC way of saying I, I think a lot of stoners go go to the pizza festival. <laughs> right. you, yeah. know? you know, it's a cool crowd. They're just super chill and laid back. And the donut festival, for instance, gets like I mean, if if you're eating donuts at a festival, you're you're nothing but happy. So it just it draws like a crowd that's just ready for happiness you know it's it's pretty funny so so now i'm here it is like 10 years i've somehow managed to make a living from throwing food festivals i'm not getting rich by any means but you know making a lot of people happy mortgage yeah right and paying the mortgage yes and you know what's cool is when you think about festivals not just food festivals but just any festival you have a space let's say a park right? And nothing exists on that park except for grass. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, this city appears with bathrooms and the trash collection and all the tents and a stage and power generators 
and sensing and signage and all this stuff. And then everything happens. These people make memories over this, however long your event is, seven or eight hours. And then it just disappears. And it's, it's kind of, it's ephemeral. It's kind of amazing to, to know that that happens. But in that seven or eight hour period, here's an interesting example of why I do this. There's a guy reached out to me two years ago. He met a girl at the very first taco fest. They then had a daughter, right? Uh And then he reached out because they hadn't gotten married and he wanted to propose to her at Taco Fest. Oh my gosh. And And he reached out saying, if it wasn't for Taco Fest, I would have never met my wife in my, we would have never had this baby. And so it's just so strange that this thing can be created out of thin air that creates these like situations where people like their life changes and then it disappears. I just, I don't know. I just find that so fascinating. Kind of what I dig about it. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a a little bit of a burning man flavor to it where, you know, a pop-up happens happy happens That's exactly right you know the games happen you know it all happens and then it goes away right you know and there's right very ephemeral yeah it's very cool and then in between it all i have to just eat a lot of calories as you mentioned <laughs> yeah there you go <laughs> so, so what happens at these festivals obviously eating right you know taco fest was always it was about the programming besides the tacos as much as the tacos. So like I said, entertainment in every corner, you know, but the pizza festival and the donut fest, for instance, they're much simpler events. I cap ticket sales at 5,000 people for those events. They're much smaller. They're all about like a good local craft beer and a slice of pizza and just, you know, like eat, repeat, eat, repeat, and then and then that's the festival, you know, and people dig that about them, that they're like just super easy. Whereas at Taco Fest, it's like there was a Chihuahua beauty pageant. Oh, my God. You know, <laughs> yeah. And like taco eating contests and that sort of thing. But, you know, at, you know, Pizza Donuts or the French Fry Fest, there's lawn games. So like Giant Jenga, Connect Four, things like that. There's a local vendor marketplace. So people that aren't food vendors, you know, local businesses that you can meet. You know, there's a kid zone usually. And then, like I said, craft beer and wine and then great local bands. So it's like, it's a festival, you know, like a lot of times you'll see online on Facebook, somebody will say, why do I want to pay 10 bucks when I can just go to a pizza restaurant, just have a pizza. And I try to find a very nice way of saying, you can do that. I I hope you do that. I, I love doing that. But that's not a festival, you know, when you, right. when you go to, when you go to a pizza shop to get your pizza, yes, that's one thing, but then it's another thing to get together with a group of friends or to pack up the kids and then get out for the day and just bring a blanket and sit in front of the stage, order a pizza, you know, and just chill in a park in the middle of the city. And like, that's, that's what builds community, I think, you know, so that's what these events at the end, at the end of the day, they're meant to build our community and to make sure that we have a scene here, you know, and obviously, you know, like other cities, other major cities are in a bit of a food boom, like we are here in Phoenix. And so that begets a bit of a food festival boom. And I think that's a good thing. I think it's building community. You know, there's a lot of people that come to my festivals that like they do at others, they'll discover a restaurant and then they'll want to go patronize that restaurant outside. And that's why a restaurant does it is, you know, they want to get the word out. So these are, you know, they're really community events. Go out, see your friends, yeah. hang out with your friends. 
buddy of mine, you know, I, I he and I every year or so we go with our wives to the state fair. You know, it's for right. the it's for the event of it. Right. Right. You can you know you can go out any any Friday night and and do whatever you want on a Friday night, but that state fair is just one week or two weeks, however long it is, out of the year. So yeah. like you got to take advantage. You know. And there's things there that you're never going to do otherwise. Right. You know, it's building community, you know. And now in this day and age, I got to make sure that the community is safe. <laughs> you know, you got to be ready for anything at any given moment, you know, because you got a lot of people in the field and, you know, you just want to make sure that everybody feels safe. They have a safe environment. Make sure that, for instance, there's also like lift, you know, you know, people have discount codes to get home safe. You know, that sort of thing, because I recognize that people are having a few drinks yep. at the festivals, you know. So just trying to trying to be a responsible festival organizer, you know. A responsible uh, bartender. Yeah, yeah exactly right. <laughs> so your pizza and donut fest falls on the same weekend? Yeah, that's right. So I mean, it sounded crazy. And believe me, my director of operations, I mean... You should, she slapped me so fast when I said, I want to do a festival the day after Pizza Festival on the same site. And she was like, you get out of here. I'm not talking to you about this, <laughs> you know? But what happened, what happened was Pizza Festival is a great little event. But the pizza vendors are so busy on that Saturday that they are not able to do a second day because you can only make so much dough. Yeah. And I don't mean, I don't mean money. I mean, literally dough, yes. right? So, so. So my thinking was, I wanted to add a day two to Pizza Fest, but if I can't have pizza, can I change the food group? And then the question is, what is the food group that doesn't have to get cooked on site? Because cooking on site requires, you know, like all these vendors loading in grills and ovens and, and fryers and grease traps and like the, the whole thing. And so we landed on donuts because nobody can really make donuts on site. They're making them in their shop and then they're bringing them over freshly made from that morning. Yeah. And so we landed on, on the donut festival idea and we did it last year and tickets sold out well before the gates opened. Nice. And it, it was pretty, it was pretty cool. So now we call it Carbe Diem weekend. Oh. <laughs> <'Cause it's> pizza <laughs> and donut. <laughs> wow. Well, you know, yeah. from an infrastructure perspective, cause that's where, that's where my brain went from. First, it makes perfect sense. You got a venue, you got everything set up, use it twice. Exactly right. That's that's exactly right. So my French Fry Festival in the spring, that event will probably get a second event attached to it on the second day because this pizza donut thing, it really worked out. I mean, man, it's a ton of work. I mean, loading out all of the pizza mm -hmm. vendors on that Saturday night and then having to get up to load in, you know, an, another group on Sunday morning. It's, it's a lot, but it's, it's cool. Cause for those two events, we get a totally different demographic. I don't think a lot of people are going to both. Like, like I said, pizza fest kind of skews stonery <laughs> yeah, and then donut fest skews like moms and their kids, you know? Yeah. Cause kids, kids love donuts. And then what else is funny about donut fest is it gets a lot of fitness buffs. There's, if you look at the Donut Festival Instagram and who's following us, it's a lot of fitness people, like hardcore weightlifters. Interesting. And I, I think it's because donuts are the preferred cheat day food. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's funny. When I, so 
Great website, by the way. The URL is phoenix.pizza. Yeah. When I saw that was available, I snagged that up quick. Yeah, nice. <laughs> nice. Thanks. And you do that every fall. That's correct. It's usually the weekend before Thanksgiving or the weekend before that. So, oh, nice. you know, somewhere in the middle of November, which in Arizona, weather's great. We're so lucky. Oh, you know, I mean, weather's yeah. great most of the time, but November is just magical here. You know. Yeah, exactly. Have you always been interested in food? Well, yeah, I mean, I eat. I eat a lot. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of calories, man. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. You know, it's funny. So the, the magazine, when I was an editor, you know, it was a lifestyle magazine. So we covered everything, you know, design, fashion, travel, food. Mm -hmm. But food was just always just my, my favorite part of it. And then the universe just sort of sent me in the direction of the food festival thing, you know, via the barbecue guy, you know, and then the barbecue thing, but get the taco thing. So, and, and then I've obviously always eaten pizza. So I guess I had never really noticed how big of a role food plays in my life. And I had never really noticed that I had this passion for supporting local restaurants until that became a buzzword, I didn't notice that I was already doing that, you know, that it was just this central part of my life, you know, yeah. like when a new place opens and it's locally owned, I'm one of the, I try to be one of the first people through the doors, you know, I just, I just have always had an affinity for that, you know, nice. and then what, what I noticed though, is that tacos more than any food has kind of a, a lifestyle around it. Mm -hmm. There's like a, a culture around tacos. And I don't know if we feel it more here in Arizona than other places because of our proximity to the birthplace of tacos, right? They're just a couple hours down the road. Right. But there's just this thing about tacos that is like a, a like I said, a palpable lifestyle. And so when I parted ways with my, my former business partner, who we started the taco festival together, I went through this kind of funny taco depression. <laughs> like I was, I was eating tacos like three times a day. My wife, like I, she would come home and I'm making tacos and she's like, Dave, you've got it. You've got a problem. You have to talk to us. Like <laughs> you got a, a taco a problem, man. Like, yeah, you've got to find a taco therapist. Like something's going on. And then, and then I, and then I signed up for Spanish lessons. So, like now I'm studying Spanish. And then I booked a trip to Guadalajara to go down with a buddy to just like spend a week down there going to distilleries. And it's like I, I didn't realize. I mean, I, I guess it was then that I was realizing just how central tacos are to who I am and that lifestyle. And so that has beget my next project, which is opening up an agave bar in downtown Phoenix. And so by agave, I mean all agave spirits. Tequila is an agave spirit. Mezcal is another spirit made from agave. There's Bacanora and Reclicia and, uh, and a host of others. And so I'm opening an underground bar, literally underground, that will only serve agave spirits and wines and services from Mexico. Wow. And, and so tacos. I think that's going to, yeah. And well, yeah, I'm not, I'm not getting in the food business. I'm putting in a garage door for food trucks and Ooh. taco carts to pull, to pull up and serve food and into the cantina on the ground level. Cause it's like, like I said, I was missing the taco world and I was thinking, what can I do? That's not a taco festival that keeps me in the world. You know, and so, so, so hold on. Agave here. Bars you're opening an agave bar with a garage door, and you're just going to invite food trucks to come in and do the food service. Correct. 
Is there anybody else doing that? So bars have food trucks pull up out into the parking lot, but I've never seen a bar build a space specific for that purpose. So now you can walk up to the food truck while you're indoors and like never really go outside. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then sit inside and then the taco carts. What what I want to do with the the taco carts is like there, there are these small, smaller like taco makers out in Phoenix, they're called the avenues. So it's like the West Valley mm-hmm. is, you know, where the streets go from like 7th Avenue to 99th Avenue. Yep. Those guys, you know, they could never do the taco festival because it's like it's a production and they can't afford getting out there. But if I can get them to come serve tacos in my bar, I want the people who live in downtown Phoenix or in the east part of town or northern to experience these taqueros, you know, the guys that cook out in the West Valley. Because some people are just afraid to go into the avenues and to go like stand on a street corner and eat those tacos. I'm not because it's just what I, I'm perfectly comfortable there. But I want to bring the avenues to the people who won't go into the avenues wow. so that they can try the tacos from these little guys that they typically would never venture out to see. That's one of the goals. That is epic. Because you'll have, Thanks, a, you know, you have a different menu every night, ish. Exactly right. I love it. Exactly right. I love it. <laughs> you'll have cool. to know me when it opens, or you'll have to let me know yeah. when it opens. Yeah, yeah. Right. I know. I have to let myself know. Yeah. know fingers crossed. <laughs> it's a lot of work building a bar. I mean, we're putting it in a space that is not a bar, so it's like literally starting from scratch. Yeah, we'll get it there. Nice. I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you learned from it. I already told you about, I mean, my first festival was just a, a huge failure. <laughs> you know, it's just, it was a logistical mess. Uh-huh. But it's kind of, I find it easy personally to own up to my failures. Maybe yep. that means that I fail a lot, and I've just got a lot of practice. What I find it difficult to do is to own up to failures that are not necessarily your fault, mm. but that you still have to own them. So a couple of years ago at the taco festival, we tried a new technology and the technology didn't work. Now I didn't create the technology and I didn't run it, but I decided to use it. And the technology not working, just we had to refund, I mean, hundreds, maybe even thousands of people the reviews online were just, it was a mm. bloodbath, right? Yeah. So on one hand, it wasn't my fault. But on the other hand, I own the company. So it is my fault. I was going to say, it's kind of your having, fault. Having to stand behind that and, and say, I'm really sorry, but this technology didn't work. That's a hard failure to own up to because somebody else let you down, let me down. You know, and I can't say that to people because that they're like, no, you're the one that let me down. And you want to say, but but it, I hired this company and they were supposed to, their stuff was supposed to work, but then their stuff didn't work. So that like, the, those are the failures that I, man, they're just, they're tough. They're, they're really tough because you have to own it, but you didn't directly fail. Yeah. You know, whereas my first festival, everything that went wrong was my fault. Right. Because I just didn't know, I didn't know what the heck I was doing, you know, but by the, the technology portion, when that happened, when that event happened, it's like, I, I had my stuff together for that festival. Like I was logistically ready for a great event, 
so yeah so so there's your answer if you'll take it yeah like perfect you know I, i have them all the time i just have a hard time owning up to those that were sort of somebody that you entrusted you know yeah exactly and what do you consider your biggest success uh i think i think you know the fact that we can start this interview and we can point back to a time when i interviewed you years ago oh nice and we you know what i mean yeah we still we we don't keep in touch right but we know of each other. Yep. We keep tabs on each other. Yep. I read your stuff. I love your stuff. We have a million mutual friends. I think the greatest success that I can point to personally is keeping relationships yeah. and building that network. And I, if any of your listeners are younger, I'm telling you right now, that is the key to a happy life. I can't say that it points to financial success because I certainly haven't seen that yet. But I can tell you that I live a happy life knowing that in the town that I live in, I just have a huge network. Yep. You know? Yeah. And that, dude, I feel like that's that's success built over time. That's huge. That is huge. And what drives you? Hmm. What drives me? I mean, the next meal. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Where's my next calories coming from? Yeah, exactly. What really drives me is... You know, in your intro, you mentioned something about my despise of copycats. Uh-huh. I mean, I'm co- I'm copied a lot. A lot of us are copied a lot, right? That's not an original thing to me. But truly, one of the things that gets me out of bed in the morning is to strive to be original and to not to cut, not not to jack anybody else's ideas. You know that. Like the French Fry Festival, for instance, like the the way that thing was programmed. There are a couple other French Fry Festivals around the country, and I made it a point to make mine not look or feel or act anything like those. And then, so like I'll see new donut festivals pop up around the country or even here in this town, and it's so obvious that they were just lazy and they looked at my website and they pulled text off of it and picked, you know, the types of pictures. And it's like, dude, can't you just take 10 minutes to sit down and be creative, you know? So what drives me is creativity and the desire to always be original. Nice. And we actually skipped talking about your fried festival and that's coming up (laughs) here. Let's, (laughs) let's kind of digress a moment and talk about your fried festival. What is it? Tell me about it so that people that are listening, because we have a lot of listeners in Phoenix can come and join you. Right on. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's in April. It's called Fried, a French fry and music festival. And it is basically an homage to the greatest side dish ever created, <laughs> which is French fries. Amen. Right? French fries. You can eat French fries in perpetuity. I mean, I am, if they're on the table, I'm eating them until they're You're gone right. or the server takes them away. You know, <laughs> yep. even if, they're like tortilla chips. Like you just keep going. It just doesn't matter. But what I, I did, I started to notice that French fries were sort of moving up the menu chain, as it were, from the side dish to the appetizer section, mm-hmm. where people are putting creative toppings on fries or really creative dips with fries and and that sort of thing. You know, like they're getting proteins on them now and and whatnot. And so I, I had been noticing that. And then I was at another food festival and. 
Chula Seafood, who's a seafood purveyor here in town, had partnered with a French fry maker called Freed Street, and they did clam chowder fries. So it was like two thick cut steak fries with like a tablespoon or more of clam chowder on top of the fry. Wow. In my mind, my mind was blown. I was like, if, if somebody can do clam chowder fries, then there's obviously other chefs who, if I gave them the challenge, could come up with something amazing. And sure enough, chefs loved it. And it was one of the most exciting festivals I think I've been, I've, I've seen from a culinary perspective because there were so many dishes there that are not on a menu. So, you know, like one of the, the reasons that I, one of the things I like about these festivals is that you get a lot of food that you not, you're not going to get on a nightly basis. Right. It's like a one-off limited time offering. So you got to go to the festival if you want to see Chef Adam Allison, you know, doing his version of a French fry taco because he's never going to put a French fry taco on the menu, you know? So, so that kind of thing was pretty cool about the French fry fest, you know? Yeah. And so, well, yeah, I think, I think that one's got some legs. So I can't wait to do it again in April. Nice. What's the website for that? That one's fridefestival.com, but they can get to any of these festivals through phxfest.com. It's just a simple little landing page to direct you to to the particular festival. Perfect. So we'll get back on track now. If you could recommend one (laughs) book for our listeners, what would it be and why? You know, it's a funny thing is... I was a magazine editor, obviously, and I don't read many books. I mostly read magazines, uh-huh. and news now online, obviously. So I don't, I don't have time to read a lot of books, but a buddy of mine gave me a book right after I parted ways with the Taco Festival called Release Your Breaks, written by a guy named James Newman. It was written in the 70s. Wow. And release your breaks. And listen, I'm not like a self-help book kind of guy. Uh-huh. But it turns out that what he wrote in that book is sort of the origin story for a lot of the self-help stuff that you see these days. It's like they're sort of saying the same thing in a, just moving the words around. Mm-hmm. And his whole premise is that we're, we're generally living our lives as if you're driving a car and the parking brake is on. Yes. And you know, when you drive a car with the parking brake is on, it'll still go, but you know, in the back of your mind, something's up, something's like holding me back a little bit. And the moment you release that, once you realize it's the parking brake and you release the brake, there's like this aha moment. And then your car is operating as it should. And you're, you're like, everything is just going. And that's what the book is about. It's how to release the brake in your life so that you can just get to a good cruising speed. Nice. What do you think? Does that lo- sound like I, a good book? It does. I, I'm actually looking it up right now. Release Your Breaks <laughs> by Jim W. Newman. And they have it. Yeah. They have it on an audio, it looks like, as well. Right. Yeah. Oh, that, that'd be interesting. I wonder who's who would read it. Yeah, no kidding. I think James has passed, so I don't, yeah. But yeah, either way, I highly recommend it. I think it was cool. At the end of the day, you end up, so there's like all these exercises in it, you know, you end up with daily affirmations mm. and I'm not a daily affirmation guy. I respect people who do it. You know, like I just, I wrote them down and they sit on my nightstand and I never look at them. So maybe that's why my breaks haven't been released yet. <laughs> or, you <laughs> moved, start reading my or you move that but much closer to your breaks being released. 
Yeah, maybe. It's cool, though, to just take a little bit of mental inventory, I think, or emotional inventory as well. You know, and that's what this book did is it just, I had some time, you know, just take a step back for a second and see where you're at and where do you want to be, you know? And this, and this leads right into our next question. What one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Oh, that's, that's a good one. I think it's, I kind of just said it in, in that it's important to take a step back, but I, you know, for me, it's balance is probably the most important advice that I can give to somebody. So all kidding aside about me eating a ton of calories, I do truly have to eat a lot of pizza and donuts and tacos. So Again, all kidding aside, there's kind of an occupational hazard there. Yes. You know, like no matter how much I exercise, like I've, I'm eating a lot of cheese. I'm eating a lot of grease and a lot of, a lot of meat. And, you know, it's not all grass-fed, cage-free meat, you know, and it's not eggs from chickens in the backyard. So my occupational hazard is making sure that I find health balance in my life. So mm, every yes. morning I'm, ju- I'm juicing every morning. Uh, it's oatmeal is part of the morning program, you know, like, cause by dinner time, my, my day has, has degressed into pizza, <laughs> donuts, tacos and that sort of thing. So my piece of advice would be, you know, there's no matter what you do, there's probably some occupational hazard. Maybe it's looking at a computer screen for 12 hours a day take care of your eyes, you know, maybe you're a social worker and you're, you're, you're dealing with a a lot. My sister's a social worker in Chicago and I, she's got to go on these weekend trips to her boyfriend's cabin. Cause if she doesn't, she's going to lose her mind. Right. Right. Cause she's in the city of Chicago dealing with a lot of crazy stuff that most of us don't even know really occurs. And she deals with it on a daily basis. You know, so just sort of, I think my advice would be to examine what is your occupational hazard and how can you find balance with that and make sure that you're taking care of your mind and body and your soul. Amen to that. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, David. Right on. It's been a pleasure. This has uh, been so fun. It has been you. fun catching up. You're, you're, you're doing awesome taco work, man. <laughs> so are you. You're, in, you're inspiring me because I just started juicing. Well, I shouldn't just started, but I've been juicing for a little while now and now I've been reading your stuff and I'm like, man, I got to compost this stuff. Oh yes, I got to, <laughs> yeah, with worms, with worms. Yes. Yes. So exactly right. So how can our listeners get a hold of you? So that landing page is phxfest.com. That gets you to all the festivals. A personal Instagram is totally tida because I say totally a lot. I don't know if I, if you're going to have to edit those out. <laughs> totally, <laughs> you <know>? man. <laughs> um, yeah, right. Totally. And then uh, tight as T-Y-D-A. And yeah, that's the best way to find me. Perfect. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash PHX Fest. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. 
But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.